welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us into a new series going through the book of Galatians. If you would like to watch the video for this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do all of that and more on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. I've called Living Free. It's a survey of Galatians, and it describes you mothers who have your children at home with you all summer. Absolutely free. Now, the message of Galatians is that Christians are spiritually free because they've been delivered from the bondage of sin, and they've been delivered from the obligation to earn salvation through their own efforts. That's referred to as religious legalism. And in this book of Galatians, you'll see a lot of reference to legalism or the law. Now, this message is especially relevant for us today because in our culture, both Christians and non-Christians claim they're free to do whatever they want. A little surprising to me that Christians assert that they can follow their desires freely, even in violation of God's Word, because they have an expectation that a loving God will forgive whatever they do. It's an interesting approach to faith. Non-Christians declare that the only standard for behavior is love, and every expression of love is acceptable. But then they selfishly determine both the definition and the expression of love, not God. Our survey of Galatians this summer teaches about freedom that is found not in unrestrained self-expression, but in living by the Spirit. See, the freedom that the Bible talks about is the freedom to follow the Spirit. It's the freedom to obey God. It's not a freedom to ignore God and violate His Word. You see, it's interesting how our culture, even the church culture, has reversed it somehow. So we're going to look, take out your outline. We're going to look at the background of Galatians And I urge you this summer, spend some time in this book. You know, you're taking some time away from work probably, but don't, don't take time away from God's Word. Use this extra time to develop a greater understanding, a greater awareness of the Spirit, a greater grasp of the Bible. So we've been spending the last several summers teaching through a short book And it's a good way to gain familiarity, if not mastery, gain some familiarity on a book. And then you build your grasp of different books like building blocks so that you gain familiarity with the flow of the Bible, in particular, the New Testament. So here's a little background information. The author of Galatians is 
Who? Paul. Yeah, Saul of Tarsus. The date is around A.D. 48, 48 years after the death of Jesus. The recipient, as I printed there, the recipient was a group of churches that were established by Paul during his first missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. In the region of Galatia, now it's Central Asia Minor, which would be modern-day southern Turkey. The occasion was that false teachers, that word should be plural, and there's a blank there because these teachers are referred to as Judaizers. Judaizers. They taught that Gentiles must become Jews by circumcision. Obviously, Jews circumcised. Gentiles did not. So these teachers were saying, now, to to honor God, to obey God, you Gentiles need to first become Jews by circumcision, and then you can become Christian. And they taught that all Christians, which included Jews and Gentiles, that even after becoming Christians, they had to continue to obey the Mosaic law. And Mosaic just means the law given through Moses. And that included all the rules, all the regulations, all the ceremonies taught by Moses in order to be righteous before God. The theme of the book is justification by faith alone. And it's interesting, the book of Galatians actually was the foundation for the Reformation. Martin Luther, who began the Reformation, led the Reformation, called Galatians. He said that he loved Galatians like he loved his own wife. So (laughs) the book of Galatians was named for the Gauls, G-A-U-L-S, who were a Celtic people. We think of the Boston Celtics, but it's probably better pronounced Celtic people from West Central Europe originally but they migrated to Galatia from the British Isles. So this letter, you could summarize it, simplify it a bit, and say that Paul wrote this letter to the Irish, which was a little surprising to me, actually. But these were people from the British Isles, predominantly Irish people, who fled the British Isles because of conflict with Romans, moved to Galatia, But by the time of the New Testament and the time of Paul's writings, the Romans had come and dominated and occupied that region as well. Theme verse. You say, well, school's over. Why do we have to learn? Well, it's important to understand the setting because it controls the meaning of the author. Context controls meaning. And when we read the scripture, what we're trying to discover is the original meaning of the author. And then we make adjustments to apply it to our situation today. The theme verse, Paul speaking, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. So we want to learn how do we avoid turning away. So we'll be in the book of Galatians. And in the Bab translation, which is the book available at Brookwood, we're on page 937. 
And the first way to avoid turning away is to respond to a divine source. Galatians 1.1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. Apostle literally means one who was sent or one sent with a message. Now, the title apostle emphasizes that Paul's authority was equal to the 12 apostles who were specifically chosen and called by Jesus as his representatives and as ones who were entrusted with the gospel. Now, you say, well, 12, but one of them was a betrayer, right? Who was that? Okay, but who replaced Judas? Say it louder back there. Matthias replaced Judas, Acts chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. Apostles were given spiritual authority by Christ. And apostles differed from disciples. The word disciple means, do you know what? Student or learner or pupil, yeah. And it referred to anyone who believed in Jesus. Some other apostles, there were a few other than these original 12, such as Barnabas, you can see his name in Acts 14, and also James, who was Jesus' brother, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem in Galatians chapter 1. Apostles established and they guided the early church. And they utilized their authority to speak and to write the words given to them by God And their writings were equal to Old Testament scriptures. Many different references there. The church, the early church, received its doctrine, its belief system from the apostles who received it directly from God by means of the Holy Spirit. Another qualification of every apostle was that he had seen the risen Savior following the resurrection at Easter. Now, when did Paul see the risen Savior? Road to Damascus, yeah, because he came later. So he was called to be an apostle by Jesus when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road, but also he appeared several other times and spoke to Paul directly. Paul, because of his unusual timing, has said one born out of time is one way that he phrased it, led Paul to conclude that there would be no more apostles chosen after him. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And according to the Bible, none were. Now, some denominations use the, the title apostle, but there aren't any other biblical apostles. After the original group of apostles died, there were no others named. So we look at Galatians 1, verse 1, the latter part. And he says this, it was, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself, and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul stressed that he received the gospel, not secondhand, but firsthand from the Lord. And he didn't receive it from other people, other humans, including other apostles. The reason this is important is that these false teachers, these Judaizers, were raising the question 
about whether Paul was even qualified to write and speak as an apostle. So they were challenging his authority. Verse 2, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. So he had the support of those that traveled with him, but it's important for us, as it was for the early church, that we form our beliefs, our doctrine, from God's inspired word given by a few select writers, inspired, chosen by God, not from the writing and the speaking of other persuasive persons. There are many sincere people who appear to know a lot about the Bible, a lot about the Scripture, who are sincerely wrong about their conclusions. So for us, we have to ask this question. Do I examine what I hear from any other writers, any other preachers, including me, to make sure that it agrees with the Scripture. Do you do it? Now, it being Father's Day, I'll I'll give this encouragement and also this challenge to fathers, particularly, know what you believe. Know what the Bible teaches. It's incumbent on you to lead your family to lead your children into a correct biblical understanding of faith and life. Now, I don't say this to minimize um, homes that are led by women because many of you, unfortunately, are filling both the, the, the mother's role and the father's role. And so I'm just addressing men in particular because today's Father's Day, but it includes many of you ladies who are leading, but, I, but men, it's not fair that we leave so much of the nurturing and the spiritual leadership to women in our households. Women are carrying far too much, and men, it's not fair to say, oh, that's the, you know, the religious training is the woman's role. No, no, it's your role, and so you have to get on board, get on board. Another way to avoid turning away is to remember the true gospel. Verse 3. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace, which is God's unmerited favor, and peace, which is God's blessing of well-being. Peace doesn't just mean, you know, the kids aren't crying and the dog's not barking. Because in reality, you can have peace from God when the kids are crying and the dog is barking. We had my, uh, my daughter and, and son-in-law moved in with us for a few days this week and brought our beautiful grand dog <laughs> who, who has a surprisingly high-pitched squeal when she is left alone. She loves people. So... You can have peace from God when your home is a little bit chaotic. You understand? And that's a gift from God. Verse 
And then he continues. Jesus gave his life. Let me say this first before I go on to that. See, the law, obeying rules and regulations, even scriptural ones, offered no grace and provided no peace. Now, I'm talking about the law of Moses. There was no grace to be found in the law. There was no peace derived from it. Because, you see, if salvation had to be obtained by human efforts, then it is not the result of God's grace. And if the law, if salvation is achieved, again, by your efforts, it provides no peace. Because you would never know whether you had enough works or whether your works, however good, were of sufficient quality to be acceptable to God. So you could have no security if salvation is based on you in any measure. In any measure at all. Then Paul spelled out the gospel. In verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Salvation is accomplished by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the end. His death destroys sin's control and also sin's condemning effect over our lives. Now, Jesus' death doesn't remove us from this world until after our lives are over. But it rescues us from living dominated by Satan who does control this fallen world until Jesus' return. In turning from grace to this legalistic human system of salvation by works, the Galatians are ignoring the true significance of the death of Christ. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Who knows? What's that? You got to say it again. By sacrifices. I heard no back there. How many of y'all think sacrifices? How many of y'all are scared to death? You're about to go on the beach in a bikini or a little bitty bathing suit and you're scared to expose yourself in here at all. How many of you think salvation was by sacrifices in the Old Testament? Let me see some hands. How many of you think salvation was not by sacrifices in the Old Testament? How many of you? How many of you are confused? (laughs) No one was ever saved by sacrifices. Never from the beginning of time. The law of Moses, and you're going to see this in Galatians, only exposed our shortcomings and our sin. The law of Moses showed us 
we are helpless and hopeless. Well, how was Abraham saved? By grace. Abraham had no law anyway, you see. Well, how was Moses saved? Moses had no law. He wrote it. Well, how could they be saved? How could they be saved? Here's how. Jesus died at a point in time, right? Well, he died thousands of years after these Old Testament people. They looked forward. He died thousands of years in the past for us. We look backward. It's exactly the same. They looked forward. We look backward. Only the sacrifice of the Son of God can remove any sin. No sin is removed by human effort at all. Salvation is not earned and never has been earned by a person's efforts to do good, to eliminate sin. Salvation's only received by us completely relying on the work of Jesus. Do y'all understand the extent of this? To forgive sin. By faith, all of our sins, past sins, present sins, the sins you haven't yet committed or even conceived of, are forgiven, they're expunged, they're removed. Because humanly, you can't do anything to have sins you've yet to commit be removed. Do you understand this? Is this confusing? It ought to give you great relief. See, that's, here's what faith is, because you think, well, that's hard to believe. That's faith. Faith is hard to believe because faith, belief, trust, reliance, persuasion all come from the same Greek word, pistis. That's the essence of your salvation. You're relying on the fact that what God has said about the sacrifice of his son really is true. You got that? That's, that's the totality of faith. And if we start putting human works in faith, it's no longer faith. It's now works. Verse 5. That is why you can, you can understand this now. All glory to God forever and ever. In other words, what he's saying is because of the way salvation occurs, all glory is God's. Only God deserves glory. Only God deserves praise because it's all of God and none of me. Now, let me, let me give you just a couple of things before you start nodding off. Beware of any teaching that puts more emphasis on you and what you do than on Christ. 
Also, here's another one. If doctrine, and doctrine just means beliefs, if doctrine does not humble you and glorify God, it is not likely true. You hear me? If it's anything about you, it's not true. All glory goes to God. Look at this, y'all. Everyone should know this verse. And you know what? Some of you love to get tattoos and all these words and all that. Live free. I mean, you could tattoo that, but tattoo this around your body. You know, I love these celebrities getting tattooed, but you know what? You know when I really love it? You know when I love it, Roland? Tell me. When it's misspelled. I love it. I love it when it's misspelled. And they're acting like I'm the only one with this. Well, yeah, you're the only one with that word misspelled. That's what I love. God saved you by his grace when you believed. So you shouldn't get discount tattoos is the lesson there. And you can't take credit for this. Well, if you did it, you could take credit for it, couldn't you? It's a gift from God. See, even your ability to believe, that's a gift too. Faith is a gift from end to end. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now I want you to take that verse, and that verse is literally true in every circumstance. And so if you're being persuaded by some teaching that violates it, that teaching is not true. Do we understand the good news that salvation is God's work, not mine? Do you know that? And the effect is humbling, isn't it? An important way to avoid turning away is also to reject distortions of the gospel. Verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. See, here's what was happening. These visiting preachers persuaded the Galatians that they should be circumcised. And then they should obey the whole Jewish law to be justified before God. And you know what? That sort of sounds right, doesn't it? You're a Christian, so now you ought, to, you ought to follow everything God's ever given before. But this phrase, turning away from God, other translations, who has another translation? Deserting is what it says. And then the statement, not the good news at all, reveals 
that adding the law, adding effort, adding human actions as a requirement for salvation is the same as abandoning God and destroying the gospel. It's not a minor thing. Now, am I saying all these Christians, these uh, Galatians were lost? No, I'm not saying that. Certainly some of these Galatians were Christians, true Christians. But they were being confused by persuasive preachers who seduced them into thinking there was a better, truer path to, to greater righteousness. And this is one that can catch us sometimes. To deeper spirituality which would damage their practice of faith and rob them of the peace that the good news promised. But it wouldn't rob them of their salvation. It may rob them of their effectiveness. It certainly would rob them of the peace they should be able to live in. For unbelievers... Giving them some tangible, practical steps they could take to accomplish salvation, like circumcision, like obeying the law of Moses, like participating in ceremonies or rituals. Those were things they could do that would then give them false assurance they were saved, when in fact they were not. We must be careful that we don't suggest and believe that there are steps humans take to secure their salvation. Serving, praying, giving. I think we ought to serve, pray, and give. But those things don't secure salvation. Those things are expressions of salvation that occurred. Baptism won't save you. Walk in an aisle won't save you. Pray in a prayer won't save you. The Spirit of God saves you. And you might pray a prayer. You might walk an aisle. Hopefully you will be baptized. But one doesn't cause the other. Is this confusing or is it clear? Only faith in the finished work of Jesus. And again, faith means total reliance. You are out of control. You understand that? My faith is my desperate belief that what God has said really is true. That sort of changes, the, it shifts it, doesn't it? Now, a saved person will produce good works. I mean, some of you might be saying, well, if you tell them that, they'll just do anything they want to do. No, they won't do anything they want to do out of appreciation, out of love. Joe, you ever try to please your wife out of love, right? No other motivation. That's our motivation for serving forgiving. We appreciate what's been done for us. See, if I think that I've earned this somehow, I've got a little less appreciation of God. I got a little more appreciation of me. So why should I give? Why should I serve? 
Why should I do anything? I'm as responsible as he is. Mm -mm, That's false. That's That's destroying the gospel. See, we produce good works because by being born again, we're different people. You know what I'm talking about? You've been changed. You've been transformed. You say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not talking, but you're changed, aren't you? You're not the person you used to be. You don't have the same motivation. You don't have the same desires that you used to have. We run too quickly to say, well, I'm not perfect. That, no, no. In God's eyes, you are perfect. And you're being made perfect. But you're completely different. It doesn't make any sense to accept a gracious salvation and then endeavor to maintain it through human efforts. Does it? And yet how many of us think we have to do something to be saved or stay saved? Completely false. And it destroys the gospel. Distortion of the gospel, additions and deletions are more difficult to recognize, especially when they embrace a lot of biblical teaching. You know, when something just rejects all of the Scripture and all of the Gospel, that's not hard for us to recognize. But when it's closer, it can be a little harder. And it's easier for somebody to slip in some unbiblical teaching along with some biblical teaching. Here's some examples. Now throw whatever you want. Every truly saved person will speak in tongues. Anybody ever heard that? Every truly saved person will speak in tongues. And that's proof that you're saved. It's not true. Some of you may speak in tongues. Here's another one. God will make every person healthy and wealthy if you ask correctly. Anybody ever heard that though? God wants you to be healthy and maybe even wealthy. If you'll just pray the right way, you'll have it. Not true. How about this one? Unless you do certain things, you can lose the salvation that Christ died to provide. Do you believe that? Unless you do certain things, you can lose the salvation that Christ died to provide. I remember him saying, this is finished. This is finished. Well, I don't really deserve it. That's the point. If God through his love and mercy has given you eternal life through his son, he's regenerated you, he's changed you, he's transformed you, it cannot be lost. You didn't get it through good efforts. Guess what? You can't lose it through bad ones. And if you hear some of this teaching that just doesn't sound right, doesn't quite feel right, something's not, something's stirring in you, it could be because it's not right. See, you've been given a resource to tell you when something's true. What's that resource? The Holy Spirit's been placed in you 
to alarm you when what you're hearing is false. Quit tuning it out. Well, this person knows more Bible verses than me. That doesn't mean they know more truth than you. A human can memorize lots of Bible verses. And they can be very sincere and very sincerely wrong. Greater is he who is in you than he who is on any platform. And that includes me. And that includes me. Is the Holy Spirit sensitizing you to distortions of the gospel you've accepted? The final way to avoid turning away is to refuse deception by false teachers. Continue in verse 7. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Don't you wonder how these people were successful? You wonder that? Here's why. Because much of the Judaizers' doctrine was correct. See, they embraced Jesus as being the expected Messiah. They even acknowledged the value of his sacrificial death on the cross. But then they added some things. And they said, okay, well, you've got that. But really, if you want to be righteous before God, here's what you need to do. Anybody ever told you that kind of stuff? Here's a better, here's a more spiritual gospel. Now, you need to obey the law. You need, here's some rules, here's some regulations, here's some ceremonies. Because, see, you've got to keep the old covenant and you've got to add it to the new. But when you add the old to the new, guess what happens to the new? It's destroyed. See, now humanly though, because we're, you know, we're kind of wounded people. And we're getting better and we're getting whole and we're healing. But we instinctively think it can't be this easy. I have to earn forgiveness. Because there's a part of us that sort of thinks we deserve some punishment. Is that true of anybody? I don't measure up. I deserve some punishment. It can't be this easy. God can't be giving me this freely. So we think I need some effort. I need some self-discipline. Grace is not natural. That's why it's so grand. That's why it's wonderful. That's why only God gets glory. The most dangerous attacks on the church don't come from atheists or cults. They come from inside the church, from people who accept a lot of biblical truth so that their, their additions or their deletions seem sort of insignificant. And they appeal to our ego. Here's a way you can be more spiritual than this other bunch. Here's the way you can be more powerful than that crowd around you. You know that's from the pit. When you hear anything that divides you from other believers and puffs you up a little bit, I got something you don't have. No, no, no. The greatest gift is being born again. Everything else is minor by comparison. 
why did these Judaizers do this? Well, here's the thing. I think, I think, and again, you can always throw away what I think. I think they were motivated by pride. They wanted their own little following. They were jealous of Paul. Paul's speaking and all these people are paying attention to him. He shouldn't even be speaking. What about me? I need some folks following me because I know a few things. So they wanted some of their own converts to follow their own teaching. Also, they wanted to get along with these Jewish rabbis who still had a lot of power. So what better way to get along with them than to say, well, here's what I'm doing. I'm not taking them out of the, out of the, the Hebrew church. What I'm doing is I'm telling them they need to be Jewish first. So everybody's happy then. The rabbis are happy. These teachers are getting their own following. And these false teachers, so they have the best of both worlds. They've got their own sect now. They're the leader. They're the spokesman. And they're not being persecuted by the rabbis, the Jews. Well, how does that that appear today? Well, here's what it might look like today. When a pastor or a church, including me, any pastor, declares, I'm the only one properly teaching the gospel. We're the only church that knows how to make disciples. I've even heard this. We got to propagate our brand. I'm going to tell you what. It's God's brand from beginning to end. And if, you, if, if any of you are following a Brookwood brand, you better get off of it quickly. Because there is no salvation coming from the Brookwood brand. It's God's brand. Only his. And Paul strongly condemns this false teaching. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself. Pretty daring statement, isn't it? Or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So Paul says, if I come telling you a different story, disregard me. Drive me away. Don't listen. If an angel appears to preach, reject it. Now, I want you to hear this. Both Mormonism and Islam are examples of religions based on revelation supposedly by an angel. Muslims claim Gabriel. Mormons claim Moroni. And they received from those angels a gospel that's different from justification by faith alone. They're both gospels that require human works. For salvation. That is not a biblical gospel. Beware any teacher too. Who appears too eager. For you to follow him or her. Instead of giving you the freedom. To discern the meaning of God's word. For himself or herself. Through study. Through prayer. Aided by other Christians. Confirmed by the Holy Spirit. When you hear teaching that appears to be too controlling, you need to step back instead of step forward. Even, 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 even 
if that teacher appears to know a whole lot of Scripture. It's time to beware. Verse 10. Obviously, and this is the end. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. (laughs) He didn't need to say that, did he? But of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Paul wanted only to accurately teach the gospel he received from God. And he had no interest in changing or conforming his message to please anyone, including these Judaizers, including these rabbis. No one but God mattered to Paul. Have you let some popular persuasive teacher cause you to turn away from the pure gospel in some measure? If so, flee. Our counselors will be here. They'll be happy to talk with you, to pray with you, to anoint you with oil for healing. They'll remain as long as you want. I pray that God would bless you fathers if you have luncheons with your kids. If your father's not here, I ask you to call him. So I'll pray and then please help us stack the chairs 12 high. Father, we, we ask you to make us sensitive to your truth by your spirit. May we recognize when it's your word and may we recognize when what we're hearing is a distortion of your word so that we will close our ears and step away. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.